Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is Wednesday, the 13th of April, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. Violence is on the rise, really significantly across the United States. Um, Stories out of Chicago are uh, uh, pretty shocking. Um, But one story out of New York holds everyone's attention this morning. Yesterday morning during rush hour, a man in a worker's vest and a gas mask set off smoke grenades in a Brooklyn Uh, New York subway car before opening fire there. Ten people were shot, at least 19 others hospitalized for various injuries. Uh, Everyone is expected to recover. Police say that the gunman's uh, weapon actually jammed at some point, preventing the attack from being, quote, significantly worse. Uh, The investigation has been slowed by faulty cameras in the subway, apparently none of them operational, um, but authorities found uh, undetonated smoke grenades, a hatchet, fireworks, gasoline, keys to a U-Haul. And those keys are believed to belong to a man named Frank James, 62 years old. And so this morning, police are um, engaged actively in a search for this particular individual. So we're praying for his uneventful apprehension um, and certainly for um, for justice uh, in this case, but it's it's evidence of a rising tide of violence across the U.S. And so let's be um, let's be vigilant, let's be cautious, let's be gracious, um, and let's recognize that we live in a fallen world, and we live a very very long way from Eden, and we live um, in the midst of uh, of people who know not God, and so if if you believe you are operating in an impersonal universe where you are the most significant um, entity and you believe, as Darwinianism teaches, that might makes right, what is the moral foundation for the kind of society in which we want to live, a society of peace and justice and liberty, um, and where we don't have to live in fear of our neighbor. Like, what is the moral basis of that if not um, the Judeo-Christian worldview? I mean, why, why does violence surprise us if we are I- increasingly living in a culture where the foundations of the faith have been utterly undermined? Also topping the, I know that's that's not very positive, but here's the good news: um, God has cast a redemptive arc all over uh, or over all of human history. Um, God is redeeming yet. This is Holy Week. It's when we acknowledge um, the sin for which Jesus went to the cross and the the depth of human depravity and our need for salvation and a Savior. So, uh, no better time to be celebrating the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus our Lord, and no better time for us as Christians to be 
sharing that um, with others. What I'm seeking to shine a light on is violence should not surprise us um, when it is done by those who know not God. Like, why would that surprise us? Why was it? Why does it surprise us in Ukraine? Why does it surprise us in New York or Chicago? Um, people need Jesus, like desperately so. Um, the other uh, news that you're going to hear about a lot today, I think, is that U.S. inflation has hit 8.5 uh, percent. Uh, that's the uh, computer, uh, consumer price index measuring what consumers pay for goods and services. And last month, in the month of, month of March, it rose at its fastest annual rate since December of 1981. There are a lot of people alive today in the American culture who don't remember December of 1981. Um, and so this is going to be a, a new opportunity for those of us who've been alive long enough to remember 1981 um, to, to talk about why inflation happens um, and why you cannot continue to spend more than you have and what happens when um, you flood the economy with cheap money and where you have that cheap money chasing too few goods. It's a pretty basic um, 101 uh, economics lesson uh, but there's just an awful lot of people in the American culture who are, are not familiar with Economics 101. So there you go. Um, we are going to spend some time together this morning talking about worldview as it relates to Ukraine. We're also going to um, walk our way through uh, a tenebrae service. And so I'm going to offer this up as an opportunity for you to walk with others in this holy week and maybe for you even to do it um, in your own home. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Lord of our shame, Lord of our sinful hearts, He is our great Redeemer. Sing to Were you there when they crucified my As we enter into um, the fullness of the reality of the end of the last week of Jesus' life on earth as a man, he is returning, by the way, full of glory um, and in judgment. Um, But during uh, the time that he spent on the earth as Jesus of Nazareth, um, this is the final week. This is the week during which we walk with him in Jerusalem to the cross, where we actually see the wrath of God revealed. And I was reminded this morning um, as I was surveying the news headlines and wanted to bring you some uh, headlines related to abortion here in the United States of America, that um, it's important in these days for you and I to live into Romans chapter 1 and live into the reality of what the Word of God says. And so normally we would be engaged in our series with uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch, from the Living Word of God to Living Out the Word series. And so let me unpack uh, a portion of Romans chapter 1 and bring it into view um, with some of the headlines of the day related to abortion here in the United States. The Apostle Paul says, in beginning in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God revealed 
from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So I want to live in those verses. I want to be a person who's not ashamed of the gospel. I want to be a person who is declaring with every breath that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then Paul turns um, to the reality of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all God, all God, ungodliness and unfaithfulness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And I want to talk about truth suppression for just a moment. The truth is being suppressed in the United States of America. It's being actively suppressed. Paul says, for what uh, can be known about God is plain. I mean, there's no country in all the world where the Word of God is more readily available than here in the United States. I mean, it, it is easy to know God if you want to here. Um, what, what can be known about God is plain. It's available, readily available. You are free to access it, and so is everyone else. It's broadcast 24-7 uh, versus, uh, over every kind of conceivable media. God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature— they, they can be perceived in creation itself. Paul says people are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their fo- foolish hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. The image resembling mortal man is, um, is human. First of all, it's literally human. And people imagine that they are, in fact, the autonomous authority. And so the suppression of the truth is that God is God. And so I want you to consider for a moment, for just a moment, these headlines. Instagram, Instagram is censoring uh, a couple who were seeking to expose the truth. Like they were literally seeking the truth about abortion. They did a series of interviews seeking the truth about abortion in America, and they posted it to their 10 million Instagram followers and 13 million YouTube subscribers. They were seeking the truth about abortion by interviewing pro-life doctors, including a doctor who used to perform abortions but doesn't do that anymore, and women who opted not to get abortions. But their post on Instagram has been censored. That is an active suppression of the truth in the culture today. And then there are those who Paul describes in Romans chapter 1 as though, although they knew God's righteous decrees, and although they recognize that those who practice such evil, um, in Paul's words, deserve to die, they not only do them, they not only perform abortion in this case, but they give approval to those who practice it. So I just want to read this headline in relationship to that verse of Scripture. The, co- the company known as Yelp has now joined Citigroup, Apple, and others who are offering to cover the cost of travel for their employees who want to leave Texas and get an abortion. That is, that's not just an act of suppression of the truth about what abortion really is or what life really is or what murder really is. That is actually enabling approving of the practice when others do it, enabling them to accomplish that which we recognize is outside of the will of God. So when you think about bringing the Word of God to bear on the headline news of the day, that's how you do it. 
You get into the Word of God, you let the Word of God get into you, you read the headlines of the day, and you say to yourself, there it is. There's an active suppression of the truth by Instagram in censoring uh, this video. And here um, are three companies, at least, who are, who are paying for their employees to go and get abortions. Um, and that is not just approving of abortion, that is making it possible. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? So many of you are engaged with us as we're reading the Bible together during this Holy Week. If you're not already, please do so. You can um, join us at MyFaithRadio.com. We have a wonderful reading guide, a prayer guide, a daily podcast just dedicated to this journey to the cross with Jesus. And so I invite you into that. There is a service called Tenebrae. That is Latin for shadows or darkness. And it's a service of worship that you might see offered in your um, in your community on Monday, Thursday, or maybe on Good Friday. I encourage you, if there's a Tenebrae service near you, um, to attend it. And if there's not, uh, you can go online and you can actually, you could download an entire Tenebrae service and you could do it with your family you could do it as an individual act of devotion. You could invite others um, to join you in it. You, you, it's a very um, simple set of supplies you need. You need a Bible. Uh, you need a bit of a script that you're going to follow. And you need some candles. So um, the Tenebrae service ends, I'll just go ahead and tell you in advance, with the extinguishing of a final candle, the Christ candle. And you might think about the way the Christ candle, the, that we move through the season of Advent to the lighting of the Christ candle on, um, on Christmas Eve. And, you know, that we acknowledge that Christ has come and the light has entered the world. And um, though, though the darkness would seek to extinguish it, you know, it can't, it can't, right? Um, but at the cross, when Jesus dies, it sure does feel like the darkness wins. And when the light of Christ the Christ candle is extinguished. Um, it's, it's a powerful recognition of just how much God endured to save us. So Tenebrae is, char- is characterized by this series of scripture readings and meditations uh, done, you know, with this uh, slowly over the course of, of the service, um, extinguishing a series of candles, and, and eventually the service ends in darkness Um, and people leave in silence. And so if you're going to do this as a family or you're going to do this, um, you know, and you're going to lead it, you should tell people that in advance, that at the conclusion um, of the service, you know, when not only is the final candle extinguished, but when you slam the Bible closed, like you're going to make a dramatic um, loud noise at the end of the service symbolizing the closing of the tomb, um, then you're going to want people to leave in silence and ponder and wait and pray. So a service of Tenebrae uses um, eight biblical stations of the cross. It's a a framework of scripture readings. And so for those of you who maybe are familiar with the uh, Catholic stations of the cross, you will note that in a Tenebrae service, the only um, stations of the cross uh, or so-called stations of the cross that are used are the ones that are in the Bible. So there are, if you were to participate in um, a a Catholic or Orthodox version of uh, the Stations of the Cross, you are going to find some things along that Via Dolorosa or the Jesus's Way of Sorrow 
um, from Pilate's Hall to his death on the cross that are not in the Bible. Okay. And so a tenebrae service includes only those um, quote unquote stations of the cross that are actually in the Bible. And you enter into a tenebrae service um, penitent, confessionally, asking God to search me, know my heart, test me, know my thoughts. Holy God, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an opportunity for us to um, come before God and walk with Jesus in a really particular way. It's also a good opportunity for us to make a playlist um, that helps us. Um, music can really serve us in these days. And so to think about the songs and the kinds of songs and the tenor of music that you might want to prepare in advance to be using um, in these days as we walk with Jesus to the cross. So we start with Pilate condemning Jesus to die. We then um, move into uh, a text where, you know, Jesus is carrying the cross to the place of the skull. Um, We have the text where uh, Jesus stumbles and falls, and uh, Simon, a passerby coming from uh, Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as Mark accounts in chapter 15 of his gospel, um, he is consigned to carry the cross. And um, then we move to... uh, Jesus speaking to the women who are beating their breasts and wailing for him, and he turns to them and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. The days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Um, They're going to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And people are like wondering, What is he talking about? Well, you and I um, recognize the seriousness of sin, and we recognize the need for Jesus as we um, consider the gift of God's grace, walking toward Calvary, carrying the cross. Jesus is stripped of his garments. Jesus is nailed to the cross. Jesus looks down from the cross and speaks words, um, several series of words. One, uh, One of those words of Jesus from the cross is, this is the note to John to care for Mary, his mother. And then Jesus dies. And every person, every person, every person must respond to who Jesus is and what his death has accomplished. Not every person responds in the same way. Some respond in belief, some in unbelief. But this is the point in the service when, um, in the past, when I have done a tenebrae service, we have sung the first four verses of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, because it does give each individual an opportunity to consider what Jesus has done, to consider who Jesus is, to consider what his death accomplishes, and to consider believing. How are you going to walk through the events of Holy Week with Jesus? We certainly invite you to be reading the Bible together with us during this Holy Week, but I would also encourage you Find a tenebrae service or do one, um, do one on your own. Spend some time, concerted time, on this Thursday or this Friday. Walking with Jesus all the way to the cross. And then watching him as he goes to hell and back for you and me. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Yesterday, um, you know, how in the world could Putin be doing this? How in the world could these Russian soldiers be doing this? I mean, as people are seeing with their own eyes the bodies of precious people, in the language of the mayor of Mariupol, carpeting the streets. Um. I actually responded by, why are you surprised? And I think that there's a worldview conversation for us to necessarily have. And if you haven't pondered this yet, let me invite you to do so. Um, Nothing about the war in Ukraine should surprise us. And yet a lot of people seem surprised. Um, We are talking about Russia, a nation where uh, God was openly, openly and hostily cast out. And this is not to say that there aren't God-fearing people in Russia, but this is to say that as a country, as a collection of people, as a people who over time have cultivated a worldview devoid of God, and where the church hierarchy, in this case the Russian Orthodox Church, is wholly co-opted by the political power of the day. Why would we be surprised that a nation that says God is not would treat God's image bearers as trash or their neighbor, Ukraine, as anything other than a stumbling block over which they must hurdle to their own planned expansion and imperialistic ideas. Like, like, why are we surprised by that? I mean, just ask yourself, what is the moral basis for the value of life if it is not that God is and that God has spoken and that God has revealed that human beings are made in his image and that every person is precious? If you're not operating out of that understanding of the world, and you, then you are operating out of a view that the, the universe is impersonal, there is no God, and might makes right. And if might makes right, then there's nothing wrong with what Russia is doing in Ukraine. So the conversation that I'm encouraging you to have today is a conversation that goes something like this. When someone is throwing up their arms in disgust and horror, rightly so, at what is happening in Ukraine, I want you to ask them, what is the moral basis for your anger and your rage? What is the moral basis for why you think what's happening in Ukraine is wrong? I promise you that is going to lead to a conversation about the value of human life, which is going to lead you to have the opportunity to talk about 
how we are made in the image of the living God. I mean, it's going to provide opportunity for you to bear witness today. Because apart from God, the God revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, there's nothing wrong with what Russia is doing in Ukraine. If might makes right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, our friend Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Dennison uh, joins us again today. You can find him at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, so glad to be back with you today. Thanks for the privilege. Oh, thank you so much. All right, so um, the Ukrainian deputy prime minister has said that it's not going to be possible today to open humanitarian corridors to allow civilians to escape today um, because, quote, the situation along the routes is too dangerous. Um She then added uh, that the Russian uh, disregard, quote, for the norms of international humanitarian law, um, you know, is really what's at issue here. Joe Biden, our president, has uh, now used the word dictator to describe um, President Putin of Russia. And he's also used the word genocide. I, I just I just want to have you help us take a pause here. If um, if you're not operating out of a biblical worldview, if you are operating out of a worldview that says the the universe is impersonal and there is really no God, is there anything wrong with what Russia is doing in Ukraine? I'm so glad you're looking at it that way because that's how they're looking at it. Their meta narrative is to build a Russian empire, and people are a means to the end of empire. He thinks he's a czar. In fact, actually, his inner circle refers to him as czar. He has portraits of Peter the Great available to him in his various offices. He sees himself as rebuilding the empire. And in that worldview, very similar to communism in China, what you'd see in North Korea, what you'd see in Cuba, where I've been to Cuba 10 times, people are a means to that end, and especially people that aren't part of the empire. So the United States or even the Ukrainians are really second class to that. The idea that all people are created in the image of God, that all people have equality of status, is really not the worldview we're seeing here. And that's why there's no such thing as bombing innocents. Innocents are just in the way of the building of empire. And the crazy logic is, if the empire comes back, then that benefits everybody. It's the rising tide that raises all boats. So we have to persecute you ultimately to bless you, is the crazy narrative that's at work here. But that's what we're watching happen. Yeah, so thank you for unpacking that. I I do think there are lots of folks who they instinctively know that something is wrong when we see bodies in Mm -hmm. the streets and we recognize that, you know, uh, children are being kidnapped. And I mean, like we recognize it. We're like, something's wrong with that. But there aren't a lot of people who know how to put words to it and sit long enough and say, this is why it's wrong. And this is why I think it's wrong. And that takes us back to, you know, who God really is. And the universe we're really operating in is personal. Um, and we have to reestablish those facts if we're going to move forward in this conversation internationally. So thank you so much for that. You have just returned from a trip to Israel. We would love to get your take on the situation on the ground there. 
It's challenging. We had a terrific time being there, even though COVID's always an issue there. You have to take testing within three days to get on the airplane to get there. As soon as you land in the airport, there's another COVID test. You go to your hotel and you wait on the results. If you're positive on that test, you quarantine rather than being able to tour the country. Fortunately, none of us were positive. So we did the tours. Actually, did it back to back. I was over there for about 17 days. But then when you leave, you take another test in your hotel before you get on the airplane to come home. If you test positive then, then you quarantine. We had three people in our group that tested positive and are still in Israel. They're under quarantine before they're able to come home. So that's a bit of a challenge by itself. But the part everybody's paying attention to, of course, is the street violence. What we're seeing right now in Israel, we haven't seen in a long time. 13 murdered so far since March the 22nd. The good news is that it's not an organized intifada. This isn't being led by Hamas or Fatah or Islamic Jihad per se. It's more one-off sort of violence. But what we're really worried about is a lot of this is Arab-Israeli violence, not just what we think of as Palestinian and West Bank and Gaza. And we can kind of unpack that if you like. But we're seeing a new kind of violence on the street there that's really concerning as regards what the escalation of this could look like. So it's not distinctively Palestinian. Um, You describe it as Arab-Israeli violence. Tell us what the difference is or the distinction. Yeah, you bet. So when we think of Palestinians, that's West Bank and Gaza. West Bank is the West Bank of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. That's uh, led by Fatah, which is one of the Palestinian parties. Then Gaza Strip on the Mediterranean coast is led by Hamas. Both of those are behind security barriers. And both of those have in the past been where violence has been instigated. Some of those that are part of this are coming from the West Bank, but they're not under Fatah. They're not being led by that official sort of governmental or kind of ideological party. They're really more one-off pop-up things. Well, in Israel itself, 80% are Jewish, 20% are Arab. 20% of the of the nation of Israel are Israeli Arabs. They vote in the elections, their children go to the schools, they are full citizens. They don't participate in the military, but other than that, they're full citizens. And we're starting to see some violence within that population as well. There's been Arab-on-Arab violence for more than a year now there, and now we're starting to see frustration spilling over in terms of some of that happening relative to Jewish uh, population as well. That's harder to control. That's not behind a security barrier. That's not under Fatah or Hamas. That's not an organized movement. So the good news is it doesn't have organizational impetus. The bad news is it's hard to negotiate with that. It's more one-off sort of thing happening in the Arab-Israeli community as well. It's not an intifada. We're praying that it won't become that, but it's disconcerting nonetheless. So we're talking with Jim Dennison. You can find him at denisonforum.org. Jim, I am um, checking out what is posted right now at Denison Forum. And yesterday, um, I learned that my Oreos have gone woke. What, what, <laughs> what? I have woke Oreos now? I already had woke Disney, and now I got woke Oreos? I am so sorry. I am really sorry. I was on with Chris Brooks yesterday, and he was really unhappy with me for pointing that out, as he made the point that Orioles are his favorite snack before he goes to bed, and now what's he going to do? And so uh, (laughs) we have grandkids coming over for uh, Good Friday service this weekend, and they're not going to be happy about this. But uh, I I would imagine double-stuffed Oreos are in our future nonetheless. So, uh, yeah, you and I both share our love for Oreos. They're the best-selling cookie brand in the United States. They sell $500 globally. However, their parent company, Nabisco, is wanting to capitalize on all of that and kind of a woke business move. So this week, they released a short film affirming a young Asian man who's coming out as gay. 
And the way that they're titling this in the tweet that went out with it, it says, coming out doesn't happen just once. It's a journey that needs love and courage every step of the way. Share our new film and let someone know you're their lifelong ally. And so here's yet another woke company using their uh, success, their marketing success, to advance a very specific ideology. Hmm. Um, so why why do the why does the cookie company why does the you know disney why i mean instagram deleting or censoring you know a video made by a couple that has millions of followers but because the message is pro life you know the instagram wants to censor the movie or apple and mm-hmm. yelp and citigroup you know paying the way for people in texas to you know go get tourist abortions elsewhere like mm-hmm. I, why are companies who you know i i just i just want them to make the cookie like what is the current obsession that you see with corporations um behaving in this way on distinctively moral matters you're right this is something we haven't seen I'm old enough to remember a day when you didn't know who the CEO of IBM was, when there wasn't a celebrity status afforded to that, and the business of business was business, bottom line business. And you would think they wouldn't want to offend some of their customers, that they wouldn't be moving to some kind of ideology that could be divisive on this level. But several factors are in play now. One is that then Yuval Levin has pointed this out. There was a day when corporations created the culture of those that work there. Now they reflect the culture of those that work there. They're a platform for their CEO, like Steve. Steve Jobs or Tim Cook or whoever that might be, uh, those that go to work there see that as a platform and they use social media toward this end to advance their own ideology. The company's a means to the end of the ideology of its employees and its leaders. They see their business as a platform to advance their own personal ideology. Some of them came to the company with that. Others are formed by that ideology. But now the company is a means to the end of advancing a larger woke ideology. On a second level, they're concerned about cancel culture. They're terrified about activism that could cost them bottom line. It could make them look like they're on the wrong side of history, so to speak. And then really a third piece inside all this is the bottom line. At the end of the day, a lot of these companies are making a profit and loss decision that they can make more money by celebrating Pride Month than if they don't, that they can make more money by putting out videos celebrating those coming out than if they don't. And so at the end of the day, it really is business, and they think they're advancing business by advancing their ideology. All right. When we come back, we're going to ask Jim Dennison about Scotty Scheffler. Scotty's actually from Dallas. I suspect Jim may even know him. Um, he mm-hmm. is the winner of the Masters Golf Tournament, and and he um, happens to be a disciple of the real master. So we're going to talk a little bit about Scotty Scheffler up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Dr. Jim Dennison is one of my favorites. If you're not following him, you're like doing it wrong. So you can follow him on uh, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. You can follow the Dennison Forum, and you can find it all at dennisonforum.org. Daily email is one of those must subscribes. So, um, Jim, talk with uh, me about Scotty Scheffler. Do you know him? 
Thank you for that very much. And thank you for your kind word as well. I have not met him personally, I am sorry to say, but I really should know him. He graduated from Holland Park High School, which is where uh, uh, Matt Stafford graduated from. They just won the Super Bowl and Clayton Kershaw that won the World Series and my two sons. Both graduated from Highland Park as well. For some reason, the sports commentators aren't mentioning my sons when they mention Scotty <laughs> Scheffler and Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw. I don't know why, but, you know, a little frustrated about that. But uh, he's actually younger than my kids, and so I didn't know him personally, but I certainly know of him here in Dallas. And he's everything that in public you hope he is in terms of the depth of his commitment to Christ, the depth and the sincerity of his faith, and his wife, who is really the unsung hero in the story. Meredith is really a lot of the reason why we're talking about Scotty Scheffler today. And they're an incredible couple and amazing followers in Jesus. So um, you mentioned um, you mentioned your boys. Um, I am aware that Ryan has a new book and I Mm. would love for you to not only talk about that, but I'm also I I feel like I live with this awareness that Ryan is a cancer survivor and mm-hmm. but then I also feel like that was a long time ago. So I, I don't know. Can mm-hmm. we roam around in a little bit of that today? Oh, thank you for that very much. It's been 10 years. Thank you for that. Wow. Ryan was diagnosed with a cynic cell. Yeah. Cynic cell carcinoma. It was stage two. The surgery didn't get it all. He had to do six weeks of uh, radiation treatment. He'll live with the results of that the rest of his life. The bad news is that his kind of cancer comes back 50 percent of the time. So he gets tested every year. He didn't get the five-year cure that says you're over with this. We'll always have to kind of live with this. But they're moving forward. He and Candace and their family have absolutely moved forward with this. And so far, so good. Really, really grateful for that. Years ago that he got that diagnosis. And I will always remember the day he called with those results and all that comes as a result of that. But uh, we're so grateful. Just so grateful. His wife actually was in dental school. They were engaged at the time. She made him get the biopsy that revealed the cancer that saved his life, the Mm. results of that that saved his life. So we're so grateful for Candace on so many levels, as you might imagine. And yeah, and and thank you. Thank you for asking about him. So um, Ryan is one of those guys who reads old books, um, older books than Mm -hmm. many of us do. (laughs) And his new book is really like helping us know what our forebearers in Christ did, how they blessed others and how that blessed God. Can you just tell people a little bit about how to bless God by blessing others. I know it's Ryan's new book and um, I'm, I'm excited to read it. And so I just thought I'd give no, you the opportunity you. to talk about it as well. Boy, thank you so much. Yeah, there's nothing I'd rather do than talk about my kids and my grandkids, especially my perfect grandchildren. <laughs> Inherited original sin, skipped them somehow. Don't know how that happened, but uh, that's my story. That's absolutely my story. So Ryan has a PhD in church history. That's always been his fascination, has been uh, learning from the past in order to be able to predict into the future, and really has, a, quite frankly, as his father, there's really a lot of brilliance in that space. And so this is the first solo book he's done. He's, he and I have done a number of books together, but this is the first one that he did out of thin air. And so what he wanted to do was learn from early Christians how to handle the adversity of culture. As difficult as it is for us, as much as we're looking at this kind of rising opposition, we're not facing what the early centuries faced, what Christians faced before Constantine and legalizing the church and all that. And so he's gone back to see how in the early centuries of Christianity, they dealt with an adverse culture in ways 
that have taught us how we can bless God by blessing those that persecute us, as we're taught in Scripture to do, how to pray for those that persecute us, how to bless those that persecute us, and in that way, how to honor God. It's very practical advice from early Christians on how to handle the adversity of a culture that is opposed to the gospel. And I think it's terrific. I think it's brilliant, but it's also practical and in many ways very encouraging to know we've been here before, we got through that, we can get through this by the help and the providence of God. That's so good. Yeah, so thank you. So the book is uh, How to Bless God by Blessing Others, Words of Wisdom from the Early Church to Christians Today. Um, Ryan Dennison is, uh, is the author. Um, Jim, when you, when you think about um, the coming tsunami, I mean, I know that you unpack this in your book by that title. Um, are there things that are happening in the culture today that you say to yourself, okay, that is like direct evidence of what I was trying to point to in the book. Is there something today that is in the headlines um, that you say, okay, that is evidence of this point in the coming tsunami? It's a great question. Tragically, yes. I'm seeing something, and this isn't in the book so much as it will be in some work I'm doing right now that's kind of a follow-up to this. The degree to which the tsunami is already in the church the degree to which we're already inside the church, being so influenced by what we're seeing outside the church in terms of the relativism of the culture, the denial of uh, of biblical morality and the essentialness of biblical morality. So there was something that caught my eye recently in Christian Post. It was a megachurch pastor who was, it was really criticizing his own church members for the degree to which they are living in private sin that they're unwilling to confess to others or even to God. And he went through the litany, the degree to which Christians are engaged in pornography on the same levels as those outside the church, the degree to which divorce is impacting families inside the church as outside the church, the degree to which Christians, as they're younger, are accepting the LGBTQ activistic ideology as conventional wisdom, the fact that nearly half of Christian millennials think that evangelism is the imposition of their values on others, the improper imposition of their values on others. And so the point he's making and that we're starting to see is that this tsunami that's outside us, that's really rising against Christian faith and witness, is really affecting us inside the church on levels that are really tragic. We need to be aware of that. Rod Dreher's been pointing that out in the Benedict Option. Don't be so concerned about the external culture that you forget about your family. Don't think because they're in church on Sunday they're not being influenced by the culture on Monday. Don't think that because you're watching how your kids are consuming the Internet in your house that they don't have friends doing things online you don't want your kids doing. Be very aware of the degree to which what's happening there is happening in here as well. Starts with me, if my people called by my name. But that sermon that he preached recently, I thought was really prescient and really prophetic in describing what's happening tragically inside the church on some levels as well. If we are not actively catechizing our kids, if we are not actively right. talking with our kids about what is happening happening in the culture, what they're seeing, what they're hearing in the news, the conversations of the day, um, we can trust that culture is catechizing our kids. I mean, there's just no question about That's it. That's right. Yeah. 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 And the, it's very sw- intentional. To normalize this is very intentional. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So you and I uh, put our hope in Jesus. This is uh, this is the big Jesus week. Um, love to give you the opportunity just to have a walk off with the gospel here. 
Thank you so much. This is the week of all weeks. This is Super Bowl on steroids, isn't it? And aren't we grateful? So when I was in the Holy Land recently, we always go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's there that we talk about Jesus' choice. When he prayed three times, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't think it's just the physical torture of the cross. I think it's that moment when God placed the sinfulness of all humanity on the sinless soul of his Son. And he had to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time he refers to his father is God. That's what Mm. he knew was coming. That's what he chose for us. And that's what his father chose for us. His father said Mm. no to his son so he could say yes to us. And that's what we think about tomorrow on Monday, Thursday, and on Good Friday. The fact that God so loves us that he chose that. It'd be as though I chose my son to die in the execution chamber so that the very people persecuting him could live. That's the point. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, I said to our people when we were there, please never again wonder if God loves you. You've been in that place where he made this choice for you, and he still makes this choice for you. St. Augustine was right. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And this is the week of weeks when God proved that love for us when he chose the death of his son, for the sake of my eternal salvation and yours as well. Jim Dennison, um, as always, thank you so much. You guys can uh, catch up with Jim at the Dennison Forum. That's denisonforum.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Calvary, where Jesus and died for me. When you survey the wondrous cross, when you consider Jesus, do you recognize that God made a choice? God made a choice. God chose to come from heaven to earth and from the earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and ultimately the grave to the sky so that you and I might be redeemed. What's your choice in the face of the choice that Jesus made? Jesus chose death on your behalf. Will you choose a life in him? We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.